Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Grace. And this week we're joined by Alyssa Burke. Alyssa is a validation engineer at Barry Waymiller Design Group and is also a fellow UNC 2019 BME alum. We have a special episode planned. Uh, the three of us are good friends from college and we're going to talk about what to take away from your college internships. So we're going to start out with why choose a research internship or an industry internship when your end game is an industry role. And then we're going to progress into three key takeaways that you can pull from either experience that will be helpful to you in your first full-time professional role. The three of us had very different internships and experiences, but they all led to the same takeaways. So Grace did industry internships, Alyssa did research internships, and I did internships at startups and in government research. So we wanted to just put our minds together and give some idea of what types of internships to be looking for and what to be getting out of them. So please enjoy. So Alyssa, can you give us a brief overview of the pros to doing a research internship? Yeah, sure. So I think obviously an industry internship has a more direct correlation towards going to an industry role, but there are definitely a lot of benefits for a research internship. I think you might want to make a research internship your focus if you're planning on, like you have a certain scientific subject you're very passionate about and you know you want to continue to pursue that and sort of become a subject matter expert in that discipline, but implement it in more of an industry role as opposed to uh, working in academia. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to do research work. On the other hand, I also think there's a lot of roles in biotech and pharma companies that are more on sort of a science-y lab side. So can I can I stop you really quick? Can you just tell folks what biotech means since I just learned this week? Okay, Um, so biotech is, between pharma and biotech, biotech is dealing specifically with things that are derived from like cells and living organisms. So your vaccines and your gene therapies are what's considered biotech, whereas pharma is like a drug that's purely chemical. There's no live cell involved. So pills and nasal sprays and stuff like that. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted you. You said no, you're fine. pharma and biotech companies. Yeah. So, and it does apply a little bit to uh, medical device companies too. It kind of just, it's easier to get into pharma and biotech in a lab because I think we typically think of labs as more wet biology, like chemistry or biology, working with cells, working in a typical lab setting. Um, and, uh, when you go into, so if you go into a biotech or pharma company, they have a lot of departments that are specifically for research and development or um, process development, science and technology. So I think if you know you want to go that route, a research internship can be really helpful because especially in gene therapy and more on the biotech side, there's always going to be work to be done actually in a lab. So if you have experience working in a hood dealing with cells, dealing with data, compiling data, stuff like that, experimental design, that's really valuable, even in industry, if you're going to those positions. Totally. So so like two pathways, why you might want to do a, a research internship when going into an industry role after college is one, either you really want to specialize in a human body system or discipline. Like if you want to work at a prosthetics company and like that's your end game, 
doing a, you know, research internship in a biomechanics lab isn't a bad idea. Also, if you think you really want to do like tech development or R&D at a pharma or biotech company, um, that could be another good reason to do a research internship and get that lab equipment uh, environment experience that they're probably going to require on their job descriptions. Is that, is that, would you say like your two big reasons for doing one? Yeah, definitely. Especially as you start to get more specialized in your interests, it's just, it's going to be hard to find an industry internship that sort of fits that pathway exactly kind of so. Totally. So um, just like a quick brief, like, you know, 20, 30 seconds, how did your research internship help you transition into your industry role, your first one? Um, I think in general, it just gave me a lot of experience um, developing like data management sort of, it was, okay, my research didn't directly correlate into what I did in my job position, but I think it was really good at showing that I can take charge and take control and manage entire project and a bunch of data on my own because I did research for two years and the second year was pretty much all my own experiments, my own research. So I was sort of in charge of my timelines, in charge of how I wanted to develop my experiments, change them, get together a summary of what I was doing, present my research. And even though that's not really anything I did when in my first role, it shows that I was able to, like, I had sort of those more soft skills that are helpful in industry. Yes. And well, you, you transitioned from your research internship, which you got pretty involved with for several years, um, into a manufacturing role at a, at a pharmaceutical company, right? Yeah. So, and that's, I totally forgot about that. Like my role that was more manufacturing in a pharmaceutical company, I had to do a lot of it was in a sort of lab setting. So knowing that I had sort of very like, like the fine-tuned skills, attention to detail that you kind of get from working in a lab was very helpful. Also just the ability to show that you can pick something up quickly because research labs are generally very technical. So you're probably not going to have learned what you're going to do in your lab in a classroom. And it shows that you can pick something up very quickly. Yeah, I'm sure that transitioned well because from your your research internships, you got those skills of like experimental design, how to use certain equipment, understanding clean spaces. And then you went into manufacturing and pharma where you had to kind of know all of those things. It probably brought you up to speed faster, I'm guessing. Yeah. And I also like uh, my first position was at a startup. So there was still a lot of process improvement and process development going on. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, on a much smaller scale, smaller scale, I dealt with that in uh, my research experience because whenever you're doing an experiment, you're constantly doing process improvement to figure out, okay, this didn't work, or maybe I want to get more data out of this or this other parameter I need to evaluate. And so you sort of learn process improvement. It's just in a different scale and a different uh, technical space. Right. It sounds like it sounds like one of the main benefits of doing a research internship or research lab position or whatever is to have those technical transferable skills that you can, maybe it's not specifically the exact one-to-one, like this is what we do, but those transferable skills of working in the clean space, working in, working on SOPs, doing all that, that make you a a more competitive candidate for that new role. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And those, and those roles typically are tech development, R&D, and pharma, and biotech. Totally. Yes. Or some type of engineering at a company 
in the discipline that you focused on in your, in your research internship would be, would be targets for that. I think no matter what experience you get, just like take the time to evaluate how it could be helpful because mm-hmm. why well, didn't go that route? You know, I did a lot of aerosol science research. That's a great correlation. If you want to do medical devices and just get an industry in a medical device company, respiratory devices, aerosol science are very closely linked. So kind of try to figure out how, if you're going to do research and you decide you want to sort of change your career path in the industry, just take time to figure out how that could link and what you've learned there that can help you in an industry experience. Right. Help you with what the companies you're interested in do. Yes. Right. So, so Grace, you did industry internships throughout college. Who would you advise to do an industry internship? Sure. So Ali's right. I did do that in undergrad um, in the summers and, and then I, I guess into the fall and spring semesters, but um, all the time you worked all the time. <laughs> you both did. <laughs> Everyone I think in our program worked all the time. Um, but yeah, so I would, I would advise that um, people that, don't necessarily know what they want to do, but know that they want to go into more businessy stuff. I think um, industry internships are a really good way to kind of get a general knowledge of how these businesses operate, like what day-to-day work is like, exposure to a ton of different departments and what every department does because, you know, everyone's an engineer. Well, some people are engineers, right? But, um, you know, validation engineering is very different from quality engineering, which is very different from process engineering, which is very different from, you know, all these other kinds. So it's kind of a, what is the work that you like doing? Um, and to kind of give you a, a little bit of insight into what departments that you want to apply to once you get out into the, your first jobs. It's a good way to test waters. If you think that you like doing validation engineering and you have a validation engineering internship and you're like, wow, that was awesome. Or, oh my God, that was so boring and I hate it. It's one semester or it's one, one summer and then you're done and it was great experience and you move on. Um, you can, it's, also, I think something that's super undervalued is that it gives you a ton of business jargon. There are so many acronyms, so many terms that you just get thrown around in an office and you don't really get taught that in, in classes. And it's not necessarily like hard. It's just like, it's overwhelming to get into your first role and not know everything. Well, and it, it socializes you. So when you're at your interview for your first professional role, you're talking their language because oh, 100%. of those experiences, right? Yeah. And it, it, and it makes you a little bit more distinguished as a candidate. That's a great point, Ellie. Um, it also is a really good way to kind of, you know, start to look at some of the documentation practices and processes because FDA regulations are very real and very impactful for anything in BME. And ISO. And ISO. Yes. Thank you. Um, and also I think it's, it's a really good way to kind of, uh, like, learn office culture, um, you know, at small companies, at big companies, at startups, it's all very different and kind of, you know, getting a first internship and like, kind of, how do you talk to different people in different departments? How do different departments interact with each other? All of that stuff, just the social cues and the socialization and the environment in businesses is very, uh, it's very valuable. I think people don't really realize that necessarily. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is like socializes you to the environment, kind of brings you up to speed on, you know, how folks interact with each other and and the types of things they talk about. Um, It also is a good way to like test a role you might be interested in 
or just kind of see what other departments do while you're in your role and see kind of like what department you'd rather work in is a good is a good thing and I think oh, yeah totally I think on the general most people I, I think on the general like going for an industry internship if you have intentions of going into an industry role you're probably looking to just get like you said grace generalist experience on like hmm do I want to do engineering or marketing or sales or consulting? Um, I would say, again, on the general, folks doing an industry internship that's not like R&D probably don't want to do R&D. Right. Um, yeah, so like exactly. It, like it kind of goes back to what Alyssa said. Like if you want to do lab heavy R&D, you might want to do the research. A research internship. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I would definitely agree with what you just summarized. Ali. And, that and was like, a great summary. <laughs> yeah, and like all in all, all experience is good experience. You're a person in college filling your very tight schedule with additional work experience in your free time, which is always something you can leverage for any role you want afterwards. But um, I hope that the, you know, what you, Grace, and Alyssa shared in this first question kind of gives people some direction in terms of what experiences they should be looking for as an undergrad if they know they want an industry role after college. Also, just to clarify, like this is this is not an either or thing. Like if you yeah, have the opportunity to do both and you're interested in both and you have the time in your schedule to do it, go for it. Yeah, so the, the, from our talks earlier, I think the three of us put together like three key themes that all of our different, you know, I did, I did like startup environment and like government research. Grace, you did industry internships. Alyssa, you did research internships. And I think all three of us were able to put together very similar takeaways from these experiences that I think folks still going through their college internship experiences should be looking out for. So those three things we put together are how to communicate, how to be accountable and organized and how to be resourceful, resourceful and learn how to learn in a different way that you do in, in school. So Allie, do you want to break down what things you learned on how, like key takeaways on how to communicate? Yeah. Yeah. So all three of us kind of mentioned that we had to give presentations of some sort. There's like four main things I, I think you can take away in terms of like how to communicate from your, from your internship experiences in college. So the first is like, actual presentation content like your powerpoint or or speech or whatever you're presenting to your teams the content in it um some people are going to know exactly what you're talking about maybe even more than you on what you're talking about and then others are going to have no idea what you're talking about and others are going to be upper management that like could easily understand what you're talking about but are going to want things presented in very simple ways so I think one of my big takeaways from my internship experiences was knowing what kinds of information to put into presentations for different groups of people and different audiences um, and, and strategies for making sure you'll, you'll set yourself up for success before you give it. Like pick your two or three key people in the audience before you give a presentation and show it to them beforehand and get their input and buy-in early to make sure you nail it when you give it to the larger group. So um, building presentations and what to put in them was was one of my big communication points that I learned from my internships. Another was public speaking. Um, and I had a larger dose, I think, of this than the two of you did. Yeah. In one of my internships, yeah. I was put in a room in front of 40 people like four or five times 
And after I would give my presentation, each of them went around the room giving me a criticism. <laughs> and it's so hurtful. <laughs> I would I would have curled into a ball and I... never come back to work. Oh my God. The first one was hard, but I loved it. I mean, everyone was in there, like these 40 people taking time out of their day to make you sharper at presenting. Yeah. And I mean, everywhere I go now, I like it is one of my sharpest skills, I think, um, for, for me. So I also learned though, in that context, like what I can do in terms of presenting. I can't make jokes. Um, I don't, I do like to switch slides often. It helps me stay on track and make sure I make all my points. I know how to start and end my presentations in a way that's not awkward or like making my point dull at the end. Um, and I know how to control people's questions and still manage time while I'm presenting something. And this could be as big as that 40 person in a room presentation or as small as like presenting to a team in a quick meeting. Um, I think the skills still kind of get taken away. So we've got presentation content and then like public speaking presentation strategy for yourself and what, what you're good at. I also think this can like sometimes interviews you'll like be asked to like also present at an interview so how oh, yeah experiences before your interview um we'll just kind of like give you that leg up uh so enough the next communication point i have number three communicating with coworkers and teams it kind of it ties back to the first ones like making sure you're on the right level of detail for different teams and coworkers. You know, if you're in a technical department and you're dealing with somebody in another department that's not technical, they might need not need all the in the weeds details of what you're trying to communicate to them. Kind of getting used to understanding what people need to know to do their job and communicating most effectively with those those individuals. Keeping things short, just generally like being efficient and honing that skill of the elevator pitch, explaining things quickly. Um, that can also have a lot of like networking benefits. Oh, absolutely. Oh, also, I just want to add in concision. I think we've said this on several episodes, mm -hmm. but concision in, in so many different aspects is such a skill. Mm -hmm. Presentations, emails, you know, networking, like all this stuff, talking with your managers, concision, concision, concision. It is such a skill and being able to communicate that way makes people pay attention so much better. Yeah. Um, like you are definitely yeah. valued for your brevity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Especially yeah. when your boss has back-to-back -back meetings all day long. Oh, absolutely. It's so funny. Cause I feel like in academia, like when you're in undergrad, they're like, make this lab report, like no less than, you know, 2000 words. And then you get out into the field and they're like, can you break this down into three bullet points, please? No more. And you're like, Oh, it's <laughs> such I a shift. I mean, I've had managers that have said like on the general, they won't read an email longer than three sentences. So like, oh, I believe that of how to like communicate very efficiently and like exactly what people need to know to get their work done, um, takes a little bit of experience. So that's where the internship can help. My fourth point is office etiquette. Um, I think you can still get this from a research internship. Some research labs can be really big as well. And it's still a professional environment. So I think you get this from either, you know, knowing how to socialize, but with boundaries um, for yourself, learning what being treated professionally and not professionally looks like. Um, assuming positive intent, you know, everyone's got stress and deadlines and 
you know, on top of it, all their personal lives. And sometimes delivery isn't always smooth. And just remembering to assume that almost a hundred percent of the time people are intending to help you or communicate effectively. And sometimes they just miss the mark or having a bad day and remembering to not react to that, but rather assume they have positive intentions and move on. I mean, it's paid off for me like over and over again to just kind of operate that way. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I think Ali, like the assuming positive intent thing is something that everyone has to really like take, take to heart when they start a position, because if you don't, everything is gonna be personal and it's not it's not all like yeah it's not personal at all like people are just so easy to assume oh my god my boss or my coworker thinks I'm so annoying for asking all these questions or this or that when really they're just they're happy to help they just they're busy and they're not gonna put a lot of maybe emotion into their response absolutely so so my four my four points are presentation content your personal public speaking presentation strategy, how to communicate effectively with coworkers and teams and just generic office etiquette. Um, Grace, would you elaborate a little bit on our second big takeaway from college internships on how you learn to be accountable and organized? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something, again, this is applicable to all roles, um, but something that I especially found to be a big thing for industry internships um, is how to be accountable and organized. Um, how, how, wait, how long do you wait to respond to certain emails? You know, do people expect this within the next five minutes is, is two weeks fine? Um, you know, what are some, no. Yeah, two weeks. Is I was going to say a week is always the limit for me. If you don't reply, <laughs> two in a weeks week, is way too long. Everyone, <laughs> I'm following up. <laughs> Honestly, like people usually expect it by like end of day. I think. Well, and it like, and it does matter. Like if it's if it's your boss or like your boss's boss's boss, like in the hour. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if it's another team, like maybe you could push a day. Right. Yeah. Assessing, assessing priority. That is like a big, big thing I found uh, in my internship and also in my current role, you know, out of graduation, like assessing priority and then, you know, moving your schedule accordingly to, to uh, accommodate it is such a big thing. And that is definitely a true for responding to emails. Um, I would say if, if you're wondering when you should respond to an email sooner is always better. No one's ever mad that it was too soon kind of a thing. Um, another thing is deadlines. Um, some people will be like, Hey, could you get this to me soon? And soon, what is soon? Um, so getting comfortable asking for a date and a time that someone did something by giving people a date and a time so that you're very clear and specific on when you need things and being upfront about that. You know, if you say soon and then they don't get it to you within the next 30 minutes because you said soon, but you needed it, then that's on you kind of a thing. Um, So that whole accountability thing of giving people as much information upfront for when you need things for them. And asking Um, for it. Like if people aren't clear asking for it, I mean, it'll only make you stand out like if they're like oh yeah like we need to put together a presentation sometime in the next week it's like when would be best for you and what do you think are the main points to hit in the presentation like that should be the follow-up question just Absolutely. You know, kind of having that accountability yes again i'm gonna repeat that word again yeah, yeah exactly um showing up to meetings some teams show up five minutes early and if you show up when the office outlook calendar tells you to meet, then you're late. Um, so kind of 
you know, finding what, how different teams interact with how, how they show up to meetings. What do you need to prep for, for a meeting? Um, if you're presenting, do you show up 20 minutes early, whatever, have your presentation ready, all that stuff. And obviously it's different with COVID, you know, things are virtual, but still like showing up to meetings. When do you show up? What do you need to prep for? Who else do you need to invite to make sure that all, uh, appropriate parties have been invited? Um, and ending on time, ending meetings on time, because if you only blocked an hour, you need to be respectful of everyone's time. On top of your thing of meetings, which just hit me is if you're presenting a meeting and you're running the show, it can be really helpful, especially if it's like a very involved for you to pinpoint your person in the meeting to take meeting notes for you, because it is can be extremely hard if you're really involved in presenting a meeting to take notes of it. And it's very beneficial to have notes of things discussed in the meeting, questions asked and answered to send a follow-up email after a meeting or just for your own reference. Oh, absolutely. Follow. Oh yeah, totally. Like follow-up emails after the meetings have ended. Like when you send the meeting invite and you're running the meeting, take that extra step and tell everyone why you're sucking up their time. Hi everyone. Hope you can make this meeting at blah, 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 blah time. I hope to talk about X, Y, Z, and leave the meeting understanding A, B, C. Look forward to seeing you next week. I don't know. Like setting those objectives. And setting an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Agenda. What you want to talk about, what you want to take away. And then after you run your meeting, follow up and saying, thanks everyone for your hard work in the meeting today. As discussed, X, Y, Z need to happen by at you know cue your deadlines thing you just mentioned grace by yeah. this date and this date um, that's and that's really organized and accountable and will reflect really positively on you you really need that handshake with everyone you deal with to make sure you're yes. very clear about what you need from each other and when they would help you so much if someone then a week or two later is like well why are we doing this why we decide on this and you can easily pinpoint as shown by the notes we discussed in this meeting, we all decided this. So you're not caught in the weeds. Totally, totally. Or like if someone just like was tired or like, you know, was also like doing work during a meeting, like, which always does happen. Like it's like a good, like a good summary. And like, this is what we discussed. If you weren't paying attention and if you aren't good with this decision, like let us know now because we decided this in this meeting kind of a thing. It's like a good, summary of what we did and it's also good for them to reference when they need to do their work on it um so that's kind of my main things on uh on how to be accountable and organized Alyssa do you want to dive a little bit into what you learned from your research internship on how to be resourceful and continuing to learn and how to learn outside of undergrad yes so I think this is extremely important especially because you know when you're diving into the world of internships and working towards a career, we're so hung up still in school mode of studying and learning to get the A in the class so that you can have a good GPA so you can get a job. But while yes, that is important and it's valuable, you really need to pay attention to also just in general learning how to learn and ensuring you're learning the information because that is what is going to be more valuable for you as you go into an internship or you go into a career role. And like at the end of the day, your value to the company, while yes, the GPA gets you in the door, it's not, oh, you got an A in electronics. If you can't apply the knowledge you learned in that class to something you're going to 
experience in an industry role, it's like what was sort of the point of you taking the class. So I think what's really important is to identify how to problem solve, know how to apply your skills, because chances are the majority of the stuff you'll encounter, and I don't want to make this sound scary, but you'll encounter things in industry roles and in your working life. It's very unlikely that you've encountered them in your college education in a direct way, just because there's too many possibilities for you to just have a class for everything you're going to learn. Um, so like I had the tendency to constantly do like my research internship and my first job role were both in fields that I took no classes in. I wasn't, had no knowledge of beforehand. And I think it's really beneficial that I could show, okay, I know how to research. Honestly, Googling, Google is your best friend. Learn how to Google oh, yeah. effectively <laughs> early on. And when I say Google effectively, know, okay, if I need to find an answer to XYZ, I need to put these keywords into the internet. Use Google Scholar if you want to get educational papers. Uh, I learned somewhere in like middle school or high school, if you write site colon edu after anything you search, it's only going to give you educational websites. Things like that, that show you like you can pick up knowledge because honestly, I spent the first few weeks, maybe even a month at my research position. Like I spent a few weeks just Googling and trying to teach myself the field of aerosol science because always asking questions is great. But if you know how to Google and Google effectively, the internet's great. I know it's not necessarily what all of your teachers recommend in classes, but you can learn a lot just from searching the right terms. And yeah, in general, like breaking yeah. down the stigma that everyone knows what's going on and that you're supposed to know what's it, what the answer is like, everyone's figuring it out, right? Like, yes, it's not necessarily 100%. that every problem, like in school, it's like, okay, this professor is going to give you homework and there is a solution to it. That's not how it is in industry at all. It's like, figure it out you know, Google yeah. it. There's people aren't going to know everything. So there's no, like, I think that was something that I had to learn was that there's really, there really is no shame in Googling something. It's just insane what you'll realize, you know, after like two or three months of doing something, how much more, you know, because it's a mix of asking people for help or not necessarily. Like, sometimes you have to ask someone to explain something to you, but just say, Hey, where can I find this type of information? Cause especially if you're going to go to a company, there's probably a file with every document relating to that. And it's saying, all right, now I'm going to have to come through and how do I effectively search and refine and ensure that I'm going to find the information I need to solve this. And then how can I apply my problem solving skills and my skills as an engineer to apply that to the problem I'm currently trying to solve. And, and like, also like, you know, expanding your scope beyond Google, like most like a lot of the things I've learned and now I'm, I'm not in super technical roles, but I still have had to learn like certain things, um, certain technical things. So like another thing I do is like take half a day and watch YouTube videos, join Facebook groups. Like there are like professional technical Facebook groups that will talk about these subjects where you can like ask questions in like a forum type of format, uh, follow thought leaders in that industry or in that role or department on LinkedIn and like, you know, scroll for 15 minutes a day and try to absorb what they post. I think those are all other good mechanisms for like getting up to speed with things too. And I just think we really need to emphasize like 
how negatively it can reflect on you. If you go around asking questions all the time and demonstrate no effort to try to be resourceful and learn it on your own. Absolutely. Agree. And I also want to add to your list, very niche, but I'll put out their Reddit. Yeah. Reddit. There's a Reddit page that I'm in. That's (laughs) called like, it's like a mentors page and you can get a mentor for your industry and something. And that's a great other resource and sounding board for more general questions. Obviously you can't necessarily get super specific about things within your company with them, but there are Reddit pages for data analysis, for any sort of engineering science topic you could possibly need. I would say I also recommend no matter where you are, try to, this maybe applies more to pharmaceutical and biotech and manufacturing sort of environments. Just get yourself really thrown into it. If you need to learn a new process, reading a document, it's not going to help you as much as going out on the floor and having the people who do the process teach it to you or like really get yourself involved as much as you can because it'll be easier to learn that way than just reading documents and stuff like that. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Lisa. I also do want to clarify one last thing. And Ali mentioned like it does reflect poorly on you if you just ask without. Oh, was I too harsh? Was I too? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. You said it's going to reflect poorly if you don't try. However, if you, depending on the situation, whatever, if you come out back with, I looked at these three documents and these two SOPs in the company. And I think it might be this, but I really don't understand. Would you mind having a meeting with me to talk about it further? There's no shame in asking those questions. It's the, it's just the demonstration of like, I put in the effort to like, try to understand this. And I know you're, you're more of an expert in this field or whatever. Like, let's put our heads together and chat about this further. That is the only thing I don't want you to be discouraged that you can't ask questions. It's just, you need to put in the effort first. Yes. Know when to ask and when to take more time on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I think all three of these things we've talked about too, the communication yes. and organized, resourceful and, and learning how to learn. I think all three of these things tie, tie into too, like maybe a larger umbrella of learning how to be respectful of people's time. Like oh, communicate to them in an effective way, be accountable, organize, show up when you say you will, justify why you're meeting with them, end your meetings on time, follow up promptly, and then like be resourceful and try to solve your own problems um, before reaching for help. So I think all three of those kind of wrap up into like being respectful of people's time as well. Oh yeah. That's a really good summary, Allie. Thank you. Um, So Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. I think this was good because the three of us have very different internship experiences, (laughs) but it sounds like we all had very similar takeaways. And I also like that you and Grace were able to kind of break down why do a research internship versus why do an industry internship when your end intention of both is to do an industry role. I like that you were both able to like juxtapose the two. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.